Well, as the uh, notices have <clears throat> been making clear, it is uh, the Christmas time of year. Just you hadn't noticed that. It's the Christmas list time of year. And many of us may have been asked uh, what we would like uh, for Christmas. I'm very much someone who prefers to be asked what I would like rather than someone get creative you know, for me. I'm quite fussy. Um, uh, so I, I even drop hints. I just give a list. Like, these are the things. If it's not these, I'll, I'll be mildly disappointed. I wonder why you chose that worse thing than what I asked for. Um, yes, I am spoiled. Um, but that's always what we do with Christmas lists, isn't it? We think of gifts. These are the things that I would like. And if you're a Christian, when you pray, there's a real risk that your prayers uh, have a similar vibe to them. These are the things that I would like. If you did an audit of your prayers from this year, if you saw all the things you prayed for and how often you prayed for them, I imagine, if you're anything like me, there would be a lot of requests for a lot of things for people or circumstances to change, for blessings to come your way or the way of other people as well. You encourage yourself for remembering to pray for someone else as well. I wonder how often your prayers would look like the prayer we're going to read today in Ephesians chapter 3. It's the prayer of Paul, uh, one of the great leaders of the early church, and this is what he prays. It says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Well, the obvious thing about this prayer is that this isn't a prayer about things, is it? This is a prayer about God. That is what Paul is asking for. And I'm guessing that probably makes it quite unusual amongst the prayers that we pray. Well, the good news is God loves you and he wants to teach you how to want the things that he wants for you. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to look at what, what Paul prays for and how God will answer these prayers. And Paul starts by explaining why he's going to pray, as he's going to pray. He says, for this reason. When you see phrases like for this reason in the Bible, that's an invitation to go backwards and see what the writer is talking about. And it's basically everything that Paul's written in Ephesians so far. Uh, He started trying to pray this at the start of chapter 3. He says, for this reason, and then he gets distracted for uh, another few verses. So it's putting us into Ephesians 1 and 2, where Paul has described God's glory being demonstrated in his people and that the church is the instrument by which God is showing, not just to the world, but to all creation, his greatness and his goodness and the supremacy of his son. And it is through the church that Jesus is going to, build, is going to bring all things into his, 
himself into the, the one head, Paul says, even Christ. <coughs> That's what the church is called to do, to demonstrate the greatness and the glory of God to the cosmos. This wasn't unique to the Ephesians. It wasn't like, you guys, you're particularly good, so you're going to do this. This was for all Christians, all churches, the church. We're called to do this every day. And it works itself out in different ways at different times. Next week, it's going to work itself out with a carol service. You think, why are we having a carol service? Oh, it's nice. It's Christmassy. I would like to invite some people in. The reason we're having a carol service is that the church might display the glory of God. That's why we're doing it. We are working super hard on all the practical things that need to be done. Everyone involved is giving of their best efforts. And what we are doing is constructing a background so that God might be at the foreground. So that people might come and see his glory. And this is what the church is called to do at all times, in all that it does. Which is a big task. And so we pray. We ask God for his help. Because one of the lovely things that God does is he doesn't just say, this is what I want you to do. He says, this is what I want you to do, and this is how I'm going to help you do it. In fact, you can't do it unless I help you do it. (coughs) And so Paul says that he bows his knees before the Father, which is a really interesting combination of images. You have the reverence that we should have for Almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth. And yet the intimacy and the confidence to call him our Father. And then Paul says that the the measure being used for the answering of this prayer is God himself. Because when you ask someone for something, part of the asking involves who they are, isn't it? When I was a child and I was writing Christmas lists, if I was writing to Father Christmas, I knew that my imagination could have full reign. Because as far as I was aware, Father Christmas had no budget. So I could ask him for anything I liked. But I knew that my parents didn't have as much money. And so I would ask them for things that I thought were more manageable. (laughs) Never really plugged how remarkably um, synchronized those two things ended up being. But because it was Father Christmas, I'll ask him anything. When we're asking people for things, it depends what we know about them, how much we ask them, doesn't it? And Paul says, well, here's how God's going to answer this prayer, according to the riches of his glory. That is a lot. That is infinite. There's no limit to God's glory. And Paul says, so what I'm asking is the one who made the heavens and the earth, who has adopted us and calls us his children, so we are calling him our father, and who has infinite riches of glory, it's him that we're praying to. You really can't out-ask God here. And this is great news, isn't it? And so often we come to God, and the way we start our prayers is, Lord, I know I haven't done this. I know you might be annoyed about this. Paul doesn't mention this at all. There's a time to repent. There's a time to say, Lord, I'm sorry. But this is not how we ask this prayer. This is not, there's no naughty or nice list going on here. The measure of this prayer being answered is the glory and the grace of God. Not the wisdom or the good behavior or anything like that of the person asking. So we ask with confidence. And what do we ask for? Well, Paul says, and you could summarize everything that we read in that sentence, is that we would be empowered by God's Holy Spirit 
to experience God's presence and understand God's greatness. That's what he's asking for. This is what God wants for you. This is God's intention for you. This is his ambition for you. Of all the many things you might pray and ask for, I wonder how frequently and how fervently you're praying this kind of stuff. It's not that we never pray for practical help. We've just seen a video that makes us immediately think, how can I practically help that? And that's, that's right. There isn't a contradiction going on here. Jesus said we're to ask for our bread daily. But where does that bit of the prayer get put when Jesus teaches us how to pray? He, we only go asking for bread after we've been praising God and asking him for his kingdom to come and that we might see him and really know him. <clears throat> Jesus said, don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For unbelievers seek after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. We're so easily distracted, aren't we? There are so many um, attainable and attractive and noisy things that are clamoring for our attention and our affection. And they work their way into our desires and therefore they work their way into our prayers. Some of them are just that much more manageable than to ask for more of God. Because that's only in his hands. Only he can do that. Some of these other things I can ask for and I can try a bit as well. But when you ask for more, more of God, I mean, I'm going to give you some things, but it's God who does this. Perhaps we feel disappointed by him. Our pursuit of him has wearied us. But this is what God wants for you. And there are two things we can do to fight against this common mistake that all of us make ask for things and stuff rather than him. The first is that we intentionally care less about success and achievement and money and what those things can get us. If you spend your time thinking about those things, if you spend your time in contexts that are all about those things, that's how you're going to think. It takes a conscious um, stepping out of consumerism, of materialism, of success as the world sees it. You don't notice it. It's like swimming in the water. You're like, have you noticed that you're in water? No, because everyone's living that way. This takes a conscious decision to say, I'm not going to be like that. That's not what's going to matter most to me. I'm going to step away from those things. You have to work out how it is that you do that. I just, I'm just not watching adverts. I'm not, I mean, I hate them, but the reason I hate them is because I've stepped out of that world system that says this is what matters most. And there's choices that we can make that either bring us more into those things and we're considering them more and they're in our hearts and our minds or we can step away from them. But then more positively is we can pray this prayer. <laughs> things to stop getting involved in all that stuff. Things to start praying this. Praying this and meditating on it and dwelling on it and asking God to fulfill it. So we'll see that he is really happy to do so. Because I know that I forget the things that I most should pray for. I have a board in my study that has the things I most should pray for on there. So I would encourage you, if you're thinking, yeah, I do need to start praying this way. Well, do something very practically about it, like put this prayer on the board. Or just write more of God, wherever it is that you need to be reminded that this is what you need to pray for. Just, it will help. So... 
Let's look at the things. Firstly, that we experience God's presence. Paul says, I pray that you be strengthened with power through, <coughs> pardon me, through his spirit in your inner being. Most people think that Christianity is about agreeing with a load of things that are written in the Bible, which it is, but that's not what it primarily is about. Christianity is primarily about knowing God. Paul had a relationship with God. He was aware of the presence of God with him, in him, wherever he went. And he wasn't like, whoa, guys, this has happened to me. It's probably not going to happen to you guys. Sorry, I'm a leader, so it's, you know, just one of those things. But no, Paul's like, this is the right of every Christian, that they might be filled with the Holy Spirit, that we might have a relationship with God where we know him and he's with us. None of us are born this way. None of us experience this by default, although all of us yearn for it in one way or another. And those of us who don't have it find other things that we hope will fulfill it instead. We were made by God to know him and to walk with him. But all of us chose to live our own way instead. And in his righteous anger, our rebellion, God gave us what we asked for. We were separated from him. And an impossible chasm came between us and God of our own creation. But in his wonderful love, Jesus came from God to us to reconcile us to God. At Christmas, we tell the story of how God came to be with us in person. One of Jesus' names is Emmanuel, which means God with us. For a long time, God had not been with us because he'd removed himself from us because we'd removed ourselves from him. But now, with Jesus, God is with us again. And he showed us what God is like. And then he received God's anger in our place for what we've done and died for us. And his cross is the bridging point by which we can come close to God again. God has made a way for us to know him. And what Christians do, and what, you, what I would encourage you to do if you haven't done this already, is we turn away from our old way of life, our own independence from him, and we turn to him instead. And we look at the cross, we say, I believe that was done for me, that God, you might reconcile me to yourself, that you would forgive me for everything that I've done wrong, that I could live a new life with you. Jesus dies for us, and then he is raised to new life for us. And then goes ahead of us to heaven, the presence of God. And we wait for either him to return or to take us there. But whilst we wait, God comes even closer to us than Jesus did. Because with Jesus, almost always there was a queue. And he was in one fixed point of space and time. But now... God, the Holy Spirit, the invisible presence of God, is sent to us. And he's not restricted to one place or one time. He can be meeting with and speaking to every single person in this room this morning and in the evening meeting and across this city and around the world at all times. He has, he hasn't, Jesus took on limits of flesh and blood. The Spirit has no limit. And so he comes to us. 
And this filling with the Holy Spirit is often described as an encounter with like a personal power, because that's what it is. The Bible uses language like wind or fire to describe uh, the effects of him upon us. We're meant to notice him. But what it also says is that we are to know that this isn't just some impersonal force. This is the presence of God. And as he fills us, we know the love of God. As, we, as he speaks to us, we know that we're being spoken to and we're being led by him. And he challenges us <clears throat> and he comforts us and we know him. This prayer teaches us not to wait passively, not to hope that this might happen, but to pray, thank you, and to pray that God, you would fill us now in a fresh way. Ephesians 5 says, be filled continually with the Holy Spirit. This isn't just something that happens to you once, it's something you're to ask for again and again and again. Every day you need God. So we're to keep asking, to keep thirsting, to not settle for occasional enthusiasm or an uplifting moment. That is not it. Those are nice, but they're insufficient. God wants you to be filled with his very self, for you to know it, to know him. So Paul prays that we might have power for that to happen, the Spirit himself. And then he prays that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. As well as the dynamic of relationship that the presence of God within us brings, it also brings the dynamic of ownership. There's a TV program Deb and I sometimes watch called Location, Location, Locations. It's about people buying houses. Uh, or trying to, or seeing which house they want to buy. And for many, many people, one of the key things, apart from you know, the thing in the title, is that they can put their mark on a house. Now, again, I don't understand this because I don't really like DIY. I want them to walk into something that's all done. <laughs> and I don't care. My, I'm going to put my stuff in the house. That's surely the point. No, no, no. The point is to put your mark on it. And that is what Jesus does when he comes into our lives. When he comes in, he's not like, is there some space for me here? It's like, this is now my place. This is now mine. It's a bit of a ruin at the moment. The previous landlord made it worse. I'm going to make it good. I'm going to make it literally a place fit for a king. Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. We believe him. That's how he comes in, through faith, through trusting, through saying, God, I'm sorry for what I've done. I believe that you have died for my sins, that you are the Lord. Please come into my life. This is an action of faith, of trust, of believing. And that's what he does. And so we then de- the dynamic we then deal with as Christians is, is this continuing to believe every day. Whose promises are we going to believe? The one of the previous landlord or the one of our new owner who is putting his mark on us? We cooperate with him by faith. We believe that what he says is right is right. And that what he says is good is good. And that what he says is bad is bad. Sometimes this happens suddenly. Just get moments of believing God. Moments where something, something you used to do and you were perfectly fine about it, you suddenly can't stand because God has revealed to you how wrong it was. 
And many of us will experience moments like that. You're like, everything's changed suddenly. And you sometimes think, that was easy. And there are other times when it isn't easy at all. When it's, it's, it takes ages. When there's a struggle. We, we're aware of the tension between what we want and what we should want. And uh, this, it almost feels like there's a, there's a dispute over ownership. There isn't. We belong to Jesus now, but we're just so used to listening to old lies. We have to, over time, keep believing him. Again today, Lord, I'm going to believe that this is true rather than that. About ourselves and about him and about what's good and what's right. And in those times, Jesus grows our faith. Sudden moments are really exciting. But long trust is what has a fuller impact on our lives. Another of Paul's request to help us understand what experience in the presence of God can be like. He prays that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. Which is, seems to me a little bit like trying to fill a medium-sized rubber glove with an erupting volcano. Think, how, how on earth can that happen? The fullness of God is his, is his presence, his power, his love, his rule in our lives. And I think what Paul's saying is that we can be filled to capacity. Because I would say, if you're a Christian here and I say, hey, hands up, who feels absolutely filled with God? I think most of us say there's definitely space for him to continue to come in on. And so that's all we're to ask for. God, would you fill us? And then as we're filled, would you expand us that our capacity for experiencing you would grow? And this changes us. Makes us look different. John the Baptist said, he must increase. I must decrease. That's what it's like to be filled with the fullness of God. So we're to experience God's presence and we're also to understand God's greatness. Paul says he wants us to be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And that's his way of saying this is the infinite vastness of God. I'm describing as many dimensions as I can think of so that you have a sense of how supremely great He is. It's like being encouraged to see all of the Grand Canyon at once. You're like, well, I need to be above it and probably in it and all around the edge of it and to explore it. And you think, how do I do this? Well, you can start. And part of starting will probably be to notice, this is very big. In a much more personal way and on a far greater scale, We can hope to do this with God. To have some understanding of his greatness. Previously, we didn't understand him. For a Christian, you don't know what he's like. You become a Christian, you start to understand. You start to learn. And as time goes on, we realize that those characteristics that felt so fresh the first time we experienced them... Wow, he provides for me. Wow, he's loving. I mean, they're amazing the first time, but the millionth time you experience them, there's a different measure of our comprehension of his greatness. Wow, it goes on and on and on and on and on. And there seems no limit to it because there's not. You know, you sometimes hear experts say, the more I know, the more I realize I don't know. And there's something about that that's true of God. 
but he has made himself known. He is knowable. He's just not fully comprehensible. And so we can keep asking. We can keep asking. We can keep seeking. There are more surprises along the way. You have not figured out God yet. I don't know who you are. I don't know how much you know about him. You haven't figured him out yet. You've seen something, and if it's in accordance with his word, it's true, but you haven't figured him out. There's more to see. There's more to find. There's more to be amazed by. We're going to spend eternity being amazed by him. You know, people say you can have too much of a good thing. Not in this case. They also say never meet your heroes. They're wrong. You just got the wrong heroes. He is all good. There's no hidden faults. There are no weaknesses. There are no compromises. There are no limits. But remarkably, what Paul says is for us to get this, we need our church family. See, all the way through this prayer, you'll have heard Paul say, you. I pray for you. Ask that God would do this for you in your spirit. And we all think, me, that would be lovely. But Paul's using plural. English, unfortunately, doesn't enable us to realize the difference between you, one of us, you, loads of us. But Paul knows it. And that's why he says, comprehend with all the saints. Remember, the point of this prayer is that the church would display, the church would display the glory of God to the world. And we can only do that, and we can only comprehend it ourselves too, as we are part of his church. Let me explain. None of us can do this by ourselves. In fact, it's rebellion against God to try and do it by yourself. Because God says, the only way you can comprehend me fully is with all the saints in the church. Because when we gather on Sundays, we gather in midweek groups, we help each other to appreciate and experience the glory of God. We share our lives at these times. We share our experiences. We share what's going on. We share how we've come to know God. We share what, we've, we share what we learn about God, what we read about him, what we've encountered of him. We share these things and each other's understanding of him grows because of that. If my, only understand, if my understanding of God was limited to my own experience, how he saved me, how he worked in my life, what he's done, I would have more than enough to praise him for, but I would not be comprehending the height and breadth and depth and length because I've met people from all over the world who have encountered his love. And the way he's done it has been so thrillingly, differently diverse, but always through his son. And what I've seen him do in their lives, the fact that he just does this millions and millions and millions of times over thousands and thousands and thousands of years, the fact that someone from a different culture can explain to me things about God that my culture just doesn't see. The fact that people with different personalities can encounter him in ways that I just would never have thought of. The fact that God has gifted us with so many different abilities in so many different ways that we might together see something of him is part of the wisdom of God at work in the church. If we listen to each other, if we ask 
people to tell, tell me your story. Tell me when you meet in small groups, what's, what's gone well this week? What's been hard this week as well? What you do when you do that over time is you share stories of the faithfulness of God. And they are then weaved together as you pray for one another, as you actually help answer each other's prayers. When we see God through each other's eyes, we see more of him. And then finally, Paul says he wants us to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. He just seems to love asking for the impossible. (laughs) I'd like you to know something that you can't know. How am I going to do that? Well, he understood that it's only by God revealing himself that we can truly understand and appreciate his love. Because there are theologians, there are uh, people who have studied uh, the Bible their their entire lives, uh, who know more about it than anyone here in this room, and yet they don't know that Jesus loves them. They're aware of information, but they don't know that Jesus loves them. And so you might be saved this morning. You might put your trust in Jesus this morning. And in that moment, you'll know more of the love of Christ than some people who have read about the love of Christ for decades. Because there is a difference between knowing and knowing. But this isn't an anti-intellectualism. Because... Knowing the love of Christ with all that we've described then makes reading and learning about him, particularly for some of us, a thrill. Because again, it's not guesswork. I think too often as Christians we haven't really, we, haven't, we, we just haven't, we haven't learned to learn about him. Which changes, it's not knowledge, that it's just information then, it's, it's, the, it's our lives. It's, it's him, it's who he is. If you love someone, you want to know more about them. Wouldn't it be really helpful if they'd written loads about themselves and then inspired loads of other people to write loads more about themselves? That would be so helpful. So add something to your Christmas list. A good Christian book that will help you know more about God. And I really want to emphasize that because there are plenty of Christian books that will help you do some more things. It's fine. It's important. And some really unhelpful things that books will all be about, praying for stuff. Find some books that tell you who God is and what he's like. And then <clears throat> you'll know his love. The cross will just dazzle you every day. The consistency and his faithfulness will thrill you. Isn't it amazing that this is what God's like? That he loves to give us the best himself. Isn't it amazing how he patiently puts up with us pursuing other things instead of him? And then tells us again today what we should be focusing on. Isn't it wonderful that he comes to be with foolish, frail, inconsistent people? And, in fact, that he delights to do so. This prayer concludes with very famous words. Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. It's a big claim. And we love this. It's not that he will match your expectations. It's not that he will exceed your expectations. It's like, if these are your expectations over here at this scale, we need to, I don't know what we need to do, we need to go into space 
to, you know, for it to be out of scale with what it means to be far more abundantly than all we ask or think. That's the difference, Paul says, between what you are asking for and what he is going to do. It's like asking for a pound and being given a planet. And we usually think of this principle and these very words, in fact, in terms of the prayers that we pray for the things that we want, as I mentioned at the start. We say, you know, things like, I wanted a job and God gave me one that was much better than I could have asked for. And, 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 you know, we literally use this pattern of of words from this verse. And and it's it's lovely because God is like this all the time. He's consistent in his character. So he does answer all our prayers far more abundantly than we would ask or think. But what we've seen today is that he wants to answer this prayer in this way. He loves giving you gifts. He loves blessing you. But what he really wants for you is that you would know the blesser, that you would know the giver, that you would know him. His desire for you is to have nothing less than God himself at work in you, with you all the time. Will you make this prayer something you ask for? Will you get your hopes and ambitions in line with God's? Will you pray it for those around you? Will you pray it for those that we're inviting to our carol service next week? Will this be part of your prayer? And for yourself as well. Well, I'm going to enable you to do that right now because we're going to pray it together. And I know that we're not in a room that is good, or we're not in a room layout that's good for kneeling. But Paul does say that we can kneel. And so if you'd like to kneel, I want to encourage you to kneel. If you're not a Christian, you're not sure about this, any of this truth, please feel free to stay seated. And if you feel like kneeling in your row just doesn't work, either move out of your rows or stand up. But there's something about coming to him and saying, I'm really asking you for this that's appropriate. So if you want to do that, let's do it now. And let's pray. Lord, this is our prayer, and only you can answer it, because it's you, and we thank you for your willingness. I want to ask you, Holy Spirit, you've been at work amongst us today, really wonderfully. Just pray that you'd fall now, even right now, as the power of God is in this room, and an awareness of him in your life that is more than you've experienced before. He's very present. He's, he's really very present. And he's just making himself known and he's stirring things in your heart and he's reminding you of things that he said. It's the power of God at work in us. Lord, now, please, please give us fresh gifts of faith. Jesus, we ask you to continue your rule and your reign. Lord, be throwing the things out of us that shouldn't be there and be uh, replacing them with yourself and your goodness. Lord, increase. 
as we decrease. Oh God, help us together to comprehend who you are. Open our eyes, even now, Lord, even now, just the thrill, just the thrill of the, the height and the breadth and the length and the depth and that the, he's just, you can't contain him. You can't contain him, but you can sense the glory of him as he fills you with his fullness. Oh God, let us know this love that surpasses knowledge. Thank you. You've revealed it to foolish little children. And there is an eternity to explore it, during which time we will not exhaust your greatness. We'll not be like, oh, that's it. There's always more. Oh, God, fill us with wonder now and later today and tomorrow and next weekend. Lord, we pray that you would bring many, many, many hundreds of people in to see your glory. Give us boldness this week as we invite. We say, come and see the greatest thing it's possible to see. Come and hear the greatest news it's possible to hear. Come and have your life changed. We may not say all of those things out loud, but it's what we're praying for. Oh, God. To you be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus for all generations, forever and ever. Amen.